All right. Well, if you have your, your phones, your Bibles, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on, we're in John chapter 14. Uh, we are in, we've got a few more um, messages or part of this series, the I Am series. We're looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus going through the book of John that are all found in the book of John. Uh, today, we're on the one in John chapter 14. It's the key verse in today's message is verse 6. And so picture, just like Mary was explaining um, when she was kind of going through Psalm, I think, what, I think it was Psalm 118, that's what she said. Guys, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing when you look at how Scripture, um, like the story of Christ is interwoven throughout the pages of the whole Bible. And you see, like, here's, here's the psalmist writing this song out, not even thinking about Jesus. And yet you look at it and go, okay, this fits perfectly with Jesus. And so picture Jesus riding on the colt of a donkey and thousands upon thousands of people that are surrounding him as he rides in. And they're all saying, Hosanna. And we sang that song this morning. And it is so perfect that we sing it on, uh, on Palm Sunday because it is. It's this declaration to Jesus. They're saying, Hosanna, which means save now. And then say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That you're the Messiah. We believe you to be the one that we've been waiting for. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, we think that this is the moment. You're the guy. And so they're, so they're looking at saying, save now. And I, I, I guess I'm just trying to figure, okay, so what, did, what was Jesus thinking? Can you imagine how divided his emotions would have been? Like this sense of, okay, victory, but knowing what the victory is going to cost. Why did he pick a cult of a donkey? Well, in that culture, I think it was in most of the, like the Roman, if a Roman general or, or king, the emperor would, they would ride in on a colt after they're declaring that there was victory. So if they had gone to battle, you would think that the, the steed that you ride is the horse, but you'd ride back on the donkey saying, hey, we've, we've won. And so here comes Jesus riding in on a donkey and he's already declaring victory. He's even, he hasn't quote unquote done it yet, but there was nothing that was going to stop him from this. And so there's this massive experience of triumph. And then a few days later, in the evening before, he's going to be betrayed by one of his own disciples, handed over to religious leaders to be mocked and spit upon and to be screamed at and to be crucified. He's sitting with his disciples in the upper room. And just kind of picture the room. Maybe lanterns or torches are lit in this room. And it, there's no really celebration. Why? Because to Jesus, his countenance has changed. He has this solemn look rather than this joy-filled one that he would usually have. And he's going through and think about everything that he went through and he's explaining the, the Passover and he, he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body. And did he, did he choke up when he said, broken for you? Did it hit him? And he passes the cup and this is my blood poured out for you. This is, do this in remembrance of me for the forgiveness of sin. Like, did it hit him? And so with all of his disciples, and he already washed their feet, Judas has already gone off to, to bring the religious, beater, the religious leaders back so that they could arrest him. When he's alone, because he didn't want to do when people were there because they loved him, the people loved him. But while he's sitting with his 11, he just looks. And to jump kind of in the middle, the key verse, and then we'll go back in just a second, but... When he says, John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, he said to Thomas, he said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one 
comes to the Father except through me. And as followers of Christ, we can look at that statement and go, yeah, that's true, and we hold to truth, and we should. But the only reason that we can hold to truth and have this excitement and passion for it is because Jesus paid it. Jesus did what was necessary to be the way and the truth and the life. And I think he was more somber as he said it. But I think he had to remind them, hey guys, what's coming? It's like, okay, I've already explained. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. You've seen all that. But I need you to understand I am the way, the truth, and the life. It seems, it's going to seem like I lose, but I'm, I don't. I'm the way. And I'm the truth. And I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And friends, I think in this one verse you see one of the ultimate desires that the Father has. See, we usually only land on I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and we just kind of get through the rest of the verse. Right? I'm the way, the truth, like, oh, yeah, that's it. I think the next part's the heart behind it. Like, what's the point of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life? It's because the Father wants to bring us to him. No one comes to the Father except through me. That the heart that God has for us is that we would come to him. That's what he wants. So therefore, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life so that we can come to the Father. And so when we see that, we just kind of, kind of pull back and go, okay, wait, but do I even understand all of this? And am I willing to give up my life for him? This whole last week, I was speaking at Western Christian's high school campus, the high schoolers. We had, they had a spiritual emphasis this week. So every morning, 1020, chapel starts. 1019 or whatever time, 16 or whatever it is, we gotta be done. But I'm, I'm going through the life of Gideon and it was already planned that on Friday they would have baptisms. So they brought in like a portable baptismal, they stuck in the middle of the football field. Um, but on Monday I preached about the greatness and goodness of God, this massive picture of God. This little freshman guy comes up to me afterwards, which I was, I was kind of excited and kind of blessed because I'm like, does this sink in? Guys, I've, I've spoken at enough Christian schools, all of them, and sometimes it just feels like you're preaching to the frozen chosen. It's like you just walk in, it's just like, we've heard this. I just did this memory verse. I know this better than you. I'm like, you're probably right. But I got, I got to be here. They asked me to speak, and I get paid by the word. So we got to get going. I'm just joking. I don't get paid by the word. I'm, just, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. But, so this, you know, I didn't know he was a freshman at the time. He just comes up, um, and he goes, hey, I'm, I'm PJ. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I already like you. Because it's not just, just a cool PJ. You guys should call me, don't, yeah, you should call me BJ. My middle name's James, BJ. No, that, that's, 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 never mind, that's a squirrel mom. That's like the pizza place, never mind. Okay, so he comes up and he goes, <clears throat> his eyes are massive like saucers. I was shocked. I was like, oh my, what's gonna come out of your mouth? And he goes, I wanna know that God. Right? And it's like, what? He goes, no, no, I'm serious. Like, I wanna, I wanna know that God. I was like, well, explain it. Like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I mean, I've heard all about him and, like, I would say I'm a Christian, but <clears throat> I don't feel like I know that God. And in my mind, I'm just sitting there going, thanks, God. Thanks, God. I said, well, have you surrendered your life to Christ? And he goes, I, I think I have. He's like, well, well, do you want to know for sure? And I've heard the reputation of this kid. He's just loved and he's known as this Christian. So I'm kind of like wondering, what do we have this conversation for? Like, you should lead me to Christ. <clears throat> I said, well, do you want to, like, do you, have you surrendered him as Lord? Are you, you want to be a follower of Christ? He said, I do. 
I said, well, let's get a couple of your teachers, because after a couple days, I'm not going to be here every day, but your teachers will be here. So I grabbed the two guys that I've been working with uh, to get the, the spiritual life or the spiritual emphasis we put together, and they come walking over. I said, hey, PJ wants to tell you something. He tells them. I said, we should pray. I said, PJ, why don't you pray? He prayed one of the most amazing prayers I've ever heard. Not because he was eloquent, but because he was honest, because he was real. And I just sat there going, God, thank you. And so Friday gets here, and 10 students made a public profession of their faith to get baptized in front of their whole student body. And I was so excited. It was so cool to just watch and all the kids. And it's blazing hot outside. Hey, Brian, we're going to do this outside. And I looked at the weather, and I'm like, oh, crud, I'm going to drown. I'm going to drown in my own sweat. It sucks. And I'd have like a couple of people go, you probably should wear some sunscreen. <laughs> Who would have thought? I want to thank you for that. Uh, so I lacquered up. <clears throat> and then I wore a hat and just a blanket over. I'm just joking. <laughs> and I preached for about 15 minutes. You're like, what? How come it's so long here? Shut up. And so, <laughs> and so I finished up and I went and sat in the front. And, the, and all of them were beautiful. It was so cool to watch. But the first one up was PJ. And to listen to his teacher speak over him, I thought, wow, this is amazing. I started tearing up. And as he got to the part where he says, is Jesus the Lord of your life? All of a sudden, he, like PJ starts bawling, like crying. Are you saying that you want to tell everyone here that you want to follow him the rest of your life? And he's crying, yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, is he going to drown? Because what if he inhales when he goes under the water from the crying? So he takes him under the water and pulls him out, and he's bawling. And I just sat there going, God, this is amazing. The little freshman kid would sit there and go, I want to give my whole life to this. And so they kept going one by one by one by one, and they were all amazing. And then there's this young lady, and her name is Katrina. She's a senior. And this one stood out to me the most. Because as she was wheeled up in her wheelchair, and as the principal and another teacher picked her up and brought her to the baptismal, one teacher just held her as the other teacher spoke life over her. And the one holding her is bawling. And I don't know how the other guy, Greg Letherer, he's speaking things. And things, guys, Greg Letherer was working with high school students. My senior year was his first year with Western. Ah, shocking. And he was already working with middle schoolers here and little ones here for a few years before that. And I just thought, what a legacy. And then they both grabbed onto her <clears throat> and they took her down. And they brought her back up, and I'm just losing it. You know why? Because both of them recognized that Jesus was worth it. They both recognized the, excellencies, the excellency of the one who was calling them. And in that moment, they're like, we want everyone here on this campus to know that we want to follow Christ. And I just looked at Katrina going, you're going to do great things. Because isn't it just like God to use the weak to show the strength of Jesus? Guys, I want to remind you, you don't have it all together. Let that be freedom. You struggle, I struggle, we're trying to figure things out. 
We're not perfect. We mess up. We don't have faith all the time. And yet we have a God who says, my grace is sufficient. We keep walking with him. <clears throat> we go back to John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus saying, I am the way. The truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And there's two questions that came to my mind when I read through that verse. The first one is this, do we see the heart of God? And then Jesus' statement, the heart of God is, I want them to be with God. I want them to be with the Father. The Father desires them, and so therefore I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The next question is this, do you recognize the value of Jesus? Do you recognize him, who he is? Think about it, a guy that was, grew up in a 40-square-acre town. Really, didn't really even travel outside of his, out of Israel that much, a couple times. And yet no one on the planet has had more influence than this guy who was a carpenter before he came a preacher for three years. And over the centuries, people groups have fallen in worship before him. Societies and cultures have been changed by him for the better. People have given up, people have taken on death because they say, no, no, we belong to Jesus. For those that are followers of Jesus, we sit and go, I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have that type of relationship with Jesus. But maybe there's some of you here that don't have that relationship with Jesus. You at least have to answer the question, what do you do with this Jesus? Like this Jesus that has impacted the world and will continue to do so. Guys, you realize that hospitals were started because of Christians in the, in the name and worship of Jesus. Orphanages started because of Christ. Because followers of Jesus, like, we want to do things like Jesus. And what would he do? So let's go do that. And there's movements and organizations and church, churches that are moving across the world to impact the world. All because of what? Because we want to get something for ourselves. No, we want to do it in honor of Jesus. You've got to answer the question, what do you do with that guy? And some may say, oh, he's, just, he's a good moral teacher. He's, he's had some good things to say. He was, a good, he was a good guy. He's a good man. I mean, some may say, well, he had a prophetic voice. And yet I want to use a quote. And for those you brought up in the church, you will probably have heard this. If not, you'll hear it today, and you'll probably hear it again down the road. <clears throat> but a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis, and somebody like, oh, I know him. He wrote about Aslan. He's that line guy. Yeah, he is. But he also had this amazing prophetic way of taking the deep things of God and making them make sense. He's one of my favorite authors. And in a book, in a book called Mere Christianity, he makes this statement. And it's long, but it'll be up on the screen. So just, just read along as I read it. He says this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. These are the words written by a man who before he knew Christ was an atheist. And he comes to this point of going, 
I gotta look at Jesus. There's no way that you can say he's a good moral. Guys, if I walked up and said, guys, here's why I think you should listen to me. I'm God. That should be your response. Thank you. At no point you go, okay, there, I, still wanna, I still like the guy. And I still want to listen to what he has. He has this one thing against him. He thinks he's God. That's one thing. But he's still a good moral teacher. If I walk up and say, you can't get to God except through me. Okay, that's a little closed-minded. But I still, he's a good moral teacher. Friends, that's not true. There's no way you would look. I'm really hoping that if I walked out, if I walked up one day and said, I am God. Bolt. Leave. It just doesn't, it, it can't happen. That statement is so poignant for me. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He goes on to say in verse, in verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I think about it. You, because you've known me, you know God. Because you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There is no way that that makes sense in any other situation unless in that moment Jesus is declaring himself to be God. Like I wouldn't sit there and go, because you've seen me. You've seen Kelly. Because some people go, oh, he's just talking about intimacy. Like, you know, tight relationship with God. Guys, at no point, like Kelly and I are tight. At no point says, if you've seen me. You've seen Kelly. Because really, this, is, this is not an attractive woman here. Yes, no. If you, I would never walk up. Hey, if you've seen me, you've seen Tyler. Even though he looks so much like me. Oh, don't, Judy. Frick, you don't need to say that he's taller than me. You know what? Forget it. You guys, happy, happy Palm Sunday. I'll see you later. Oh, the hecklers are in the front row. Both barrels are coming, Judy. Be careful. Yeah. Oh, is it Miranda? Oh, Miranda. Evil. You let your mom take the fall. How, bold, how dare you? I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen my boys. Never. I hear Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know him. Guys, that's a bold statement for a person to make if he's not God. That's why it's so important for us to actually understand who he is. The passage goes on for in chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And I think about it. He just got done saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip's like, just show us the Father. Can you imagine? Like, think about Jesus. Sometimes he's like, oh, myself, these guys just drive me crazy. You got that? Just to make sure you're that. Okay. Jesus said to him, have I, have I been with you so long? And you still, not, you still do not know me, Philip? And he says it straight up. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Just straight up. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Stop asking the question. How can you say, show us the Father? In John chapter 1, verse 18, John, as he's, as he's starting out, his, as he's starting out his, uh, his gospel, even the very beginning, just the first verse, guys, he's very... Um, He's very deliberate in why he starts off with in the beginning. You know why? Because when he says that, you know who, what everyone's going to think of when they read it? Anyone who knows the Old Testament in any way, do you know what they're going to go back to? They're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. And we think, oh, that's the beginning. And John's like, no, 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 because there was something happening before all that happened. See, in the beginning, yeah, God created the heavens and the earth. But in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. So before all of that began, the word was God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Among us. And so here's John saying, that word who is God became flesh, who is Jesus. Guys, that's where he's, like you see the heart of John. He's like, just get back to Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. But in verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God. And then he says this, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So friends, when people go, the Bible never says that Jesus is God. This one does. The God who's at the side of God, the God who's seated at the right or at the, at the side of God, that God has made God know. He's like, okay, so there are more than one God knows. It's this weird Trinity thing. And here's why I love it. Because no one ever thought of it. And no one ever would. Three separate persons and yet one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All of them equally God. Yet one God. You said that going to make no sense. I know. Isn't it fantastic? If you multiply infinity times infinity times infinity, you have what? Infinity. So it kind of makes sense, but not totally. See, this is what, it's so important for us to understand these concepts in the scriptures. Because our view of Jesus will impact how it is that we apply this first verse. In chapter 14, verse 1, let's go to the beginning of this, of this conversation. He was having with his disciples. He said this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe, believe in God. Believe also in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe also, or believe in God. Believe also in me. Doesn't it sound like Jesus is making himself equal to God? I want you to believe in God. Oh, but believe in me too. Believe in God. Can you imagine? Again, I, I'm hoping there's trust here. But I'm never going to look at you and go, guys, believe in, believe in God. Believe in me the same way that you believe in God. And yet here's Jesus going, yeah, don't freak out. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. A little slippery. Old Scottish preacher, he, was, uh, he lived in the 1800s. He said this. He said, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Let your soul be filled with a sense of the excellence of Christ. Every time you think of yourself, think of Jesus 10 times more. Every time you think of yourself, go 10 more times. Why? Because it's about him. Always about him. Because how can I not let my heart be troubled unless I'm focusing on someone who's greater than me because I can't control anything. And so if we have a small view of Jesus, that verse really is, it's, it's encouraging, but it's not super helpful. But Jesus is not that impressive. He really can't do much. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He's like, but okay, but if you're not that great, then why should I? But when Jesus, we understand him to be absolutely mind-blowing, beyond our ability to comprehend, to express in human terms or expressions, when we understand him to be God Almighty, sovereign commander of the universe, and that God says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in me. Oh, that means something. And I'm convinced, I wrote this in my notes, we can't truly appreciate all that Jesus did unless we recognize who he is. We can't truly appreciate 
everything that Jesus did, unless we recognize who he is. William Barclay said this, Jesus is the proof that God is willing to give us everything he has to give. Friends, this whole week, we're going to be thinking, oh, he came in on a Sunday, triumphal entry on the colt of a donkey. Will you think about him on Monday? Will I? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, we come back together. And it's a little bit more solemn when we get here because we remember what it is that Jesus endured for us. Like what he went through for us. But friends, what it is that he did and accomplished means so much more when we recognize the excellency of Jesus. When we recognize that he's God and became a man when he didn't have to. That God in his justice could have left us to ourselves. And been completely just in doing so, but because he is also gracious and merciful, he had to. His grace, his mercy, his love compelled him. And he had to come for us because why? Because at the heart of God is what? Anyone who comes to the Father has to come through Jesus, the way, the truth, and life. God wants us to be with him. So again, Jesus' instructions, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. That word troubled means to stir up, to cause great distress, uh, or to disturb. It also means to cause a riot or throw into confusion. It's like, don't let your hearts, don't let your hearts be run into confusion. When everything seems chaotic, and that seems like a pretty good descriptive of today, doesn't it? Like everything that's going on, and I know we can sit there and go, okay, but which time is worse? I'm just sitting there going, it seems pretty bad. And yet, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. But Brian, do you know what's going on? I don't know. Let's talk about it. Maybe I don't. Maybe I do. But do the circumstances of the world going on change what it is that Jesus actually told us to do? Guys, I'm convinced that there was brokenness and chaos and disorder. There's been that since the first sin. One of the first things that happened after Adam and Eve sinned against God, rebelled against God, was what? Murder. Where one brother looked at another and was jealous and therefore killed him. And friends, that's been going on since the fall. The only thing is that we can read all about it. It used to just be extra, extra, read all about it. Here's the newspaper. You have to buy the newspaper. Go through all of it. Now we just sit there. All of it comes to us. Think about it. All the news, if you have notifications constantly on, you are bombarded constantly with every single positive news article. Here's the thing. It's hard to not let your hearts be troubled when all that you do is fill your heart with this. Chaos, confusion. All we do is just constantly read as if we think it's worse now than it's ever been. I'm just, I'm just convinced of this. We just, for some reason, are addicted to wanting to know everything about everything. And it's weird. We'll spend a whole lot of time reading about what's going on in the world and yet maybe not lift a finger to do anything about it. When what if, what if, what if? Where you live is where you're supposed to serve in the moment. And then you pray, God, what else do you want me to do? How else do you want me to impact? What do you want me to do? Why? Because I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to worry about this stuff. Easier said than done? Absolutely. But does that give us license to continue to do the same thing over and over? No. Maybe for some of you, your fast for this week should be no news. What if I don't know what's going on? You'll still breathe. You will. You'll breathe. You will know. Like, you'll just live. You might have a fine go, I think I might want to just read the headlines once a week. Great, but take a break. Why? 
Get your face back in the book. Spend time with Jesus. Live, love, learn from him. Spend time with him. Why? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. Like it's all about him. It's not about how much do I know so that I can know what's going on. No, no. I know everything that's going on. All the stuff that I'm aware of, but God, you're still it. Jesus, you're still the way, the truth, and the life. Like it's all about you. You still have this. You're still involved in this broken mess that we began. We started the mess. And yet you'll still help us clean it up. We can't do it without you, God. So a question I wrote down, so what do I do to not let my heart be troubled? In Philippians 4, I was reading through it, and three things stood out to me that I think is part of an answer. I'll just say them all out, then you, you, can, you can write them down and then take a break from having to listen if you want to. But here's the three. Pray fervently, think intentionally, live obediently. Pray fervently, think intentionally, live obediently. The first one, pray fervently, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Oh, crud. Now that sucks. Don't be anxious about anything. What fits in anything? Everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but here's what you do instead of, but in everything. By what? Prayer. Pray. What will that do? Friends, it changes everything. Think about it. You figured it out on your own with limited resources, limited brain capacity, you by yourself, or talk to God who's limitless in everything. And then when he says, here's what I want you to do, okay. Oh, that's terrifying. But in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a promise, friends. It's like, I've prayed before, nothing changed. It's like, we always think it's just like a one and done. I prayed, nothing happened. Do you think really the whole point of prayer is to make sure that God knows what it is that we need as if he doesn't know it already? Or what if the purpose behind prayer is to get in line with what God is doing, but he actually wants our hearts because there's something about communicating with someone, you actually get to know the person. Friends, prayer changes everything. Pray fervently. The second is think intentionally. Philippians 4, 8, next verse. Finally, brothers, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So this is, this is not how we get out of anxiety. Guys, just don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Because every time I say don't think about it, what do you think about? That, which you're not supposed to think about. So you've shared your heart with somebody like, oh my gosh, this is killing me. I'm so worried. I'm so freaking out. And they're like, that's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Oh, you should open up a practice. You're like Dr. Phil. So it's like, just don't worry about it. But here comes the scripture going, don't do that. Here comes the anxiety. Pray. What else should you do? Think about something else. And you know what he says? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Go to those things. Pray fervently. Think intentionally. Last one, live obediently. Philippians 4, 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. 
Sit there and go, gosh, Paul sounds a little arrogant, doesn't he? I'm it. Just do what I do. Unless he's doing it well. But then watch what he says right after that. And the God of peace will be with you. It has nothing to do with Paul. Why would he say, just do what I do? Because what I'm doing, I'm experiencing the peace of God, and it's with me. I'm experiencing what it is that he wants me to experience, the peace of God. Because I'm doing this, just do what I do. Say, so what's the big deal about Paul writing this? Because he's in prison when he writes it. So instead of going, oh, I wish I wasn't in prison, 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 prison. He's like, what should I do? I'll think about whatever's excellent or praiseworthy. What's praiseworthy? I'm going to think about Jesus. I'm going to pray to that Jesus. I'm going to trust that Jesus. And when I do, let me tell you, when I did that, the peace of God was with me. So just do what I do. Is that arrogant? Or is that instructive? Live obediently is the third one. And I feel like this is something that's kind of, it's plagued the church in our nation for a long time. Because there's this concept of this, there's this idea, these thought, this thought that's come about. It's, I call it the danger of cultural Christianity or a post, this post-Christian culture where we want the kingdom but not the king. That we want the blessings of God without God. Like we want to experience the blessings that come by living obedient to God. But I don't want God to have to do what he says. And guys, that's infiltrated the church. And really the gospel has really become more about this. So if I accept Jesus, what do I get? Like how's my life better? And so when we've constantly preached that as the norm, if you come to Christ, this is what's going to happen. And don't get me wrong, friends. I believe that God does bless obedience. I believe that there's a difference in knowing Christ. I believe that he wants to bless us in great ways. But if we always base coming to Christ on your life will always be better, never a struggle, never a problem. When that thing happens, what did we then proclaim to the people? The gospel's not true. Knowing Jesus doesn't change anything. Think about it. Why would Jesus have to tell his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled unless we as followers of Jesus were going to go through some troubling times? And one of the first things that they have to go through that's troubling is what? Is that the Messiah that they had walked with for three years was about to be ready, to, is, it was going to be attached to a cross and they're going to watch him die. Most of them from a distance because they didn't want to be around him. And so before he takes the cross, he's like, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's almost like, I know what you're going to see. I know you're going to freak out by what happens. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. Friends, may we never be known as people who only want the kingdom while not submissive to the king. May we be people who are known by how we live and love and care. We sacrifice for the betterment of others, whether they love us or not, whether they love Jesus or not, whether they stand in the same moral agreement that we do according to the scriptures or not, whether they hate God and hate us or don't, doesn't matter. We do the same thing that Jesus did. He's our example. While we were enemies, he died for us. He sacrificed himself while we hated him. As a church, we're called to go out and do the same thing. We don't start with immorality. We start with their humanity. And we bring them to a place where they understand you need a savior from Jesus. That God came, Jesus came to save us from the coming wrath. Think about that. He loved us so much and so we are in turn supposed to go and share this message because who are we that we get to hear it but we aren't supposed to share it. 
So back to John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he continues, as he continues this statement, he, speak, he continues and says this to the disciples. They're kind of like, why would you bring this part up? It doesn't seem like it fits the, con- like the, the main point of what it is that you're trying to speak about. Hey, trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house. Like, is this the same topic? In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Why would he bring this up? Because isn't this the heart of Jesus? The Father wants you with him. I want you with me and him. So don't freak out. Why? You might lose everything, but in my Father's house, there's so much room. That word room, it's weird. I don't know where we got the concept. Guys, when we die, you get a mansion. Dang, do you hear my voice? It got deep. Puberty's finished, guys. We always think we get a mansion. Why do we think we get a mansion? I don't want a mansion. You have to clean that. Don't want it. Don't want it. That does not sound like heaven to me. I don't want a mansion set aside on my own. Doesn't it sound better to just have a room in the house of God? That word, that word room is a, like an abode or an abiding. That's what it is. We're abiding with him. We're in his presence. And there's room for so many. Verse, 13, verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, watch I will come again. Oh, anybody want it today? The kids are like, after the bounce house. After that, Jesus can come back. He could come back. The thing is, Jesus would come back and play on the bounce house. And yes, adults, you can play on the big basketball one. I want to see some of you guys going after it. I'm not going to do it because I always pull a calf, but maybe I'll do it slowly. I will come again and will take you to myself. You see the heart of Jesus there again. I'll take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And I think that's where Philip goes, show us the way. He's like, I'm the way. You know the way, and you know the truth, and you know the life. So why does Jesus use those three words? Because I think this, and I think it goes with these questions that we ask often. The way, I think it goes with the question, where am I going? Like, where am I going in life? How do you know you're going the right way? What if you're not on the right road? You ever freak out about that? Where am I going? He says, I'm the way. He says, I'm the truth. The question I think that goes with that, what should I believe? What should I hold to be true? I know we actually live in this culture. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter because it's your truth. Because that makes no sense for any kind of order in a, in a society. Because what is true for you might be, might, might be to take advantage and to oppress another person or people group. How is that good for them? There has to be a truth, a standard outside of ourselves. And I'm convinced that that, truth, that standard of truth cannot be based upon whether or not I agree or I like it. There are things that God says in his word that make me uncomfortable. And they go, go, they go against what I want to do. Why? Because I'm still battling sin. But 
man, would you apply it? Think about it. If you just apply the Ten Commandments for a week, if every eight and a half billion people did the Ten Commandments for a week, what would society look like? For a week. Think about it. Moses has this experience on a mountain. All the people are freaking out. There's lightning in this cloud. And then he comes down. This is the time you take advantage of the people. This is the most that God told me I'm supposed to have all your stuff and all the women are my wives. Woo! Because isn't that how every cult starts? But he doesn't. What's he come down? He comes down and says, no other gods. Don't make idols. Hey, kids, you should obey your parents. The parents are like, yes! Guys, don't steal. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet after your neighbor's stuff. Like Moses, you missed the opportunity. Unless, Jesus, unless, unless Moses in that moment was not really worried about the opportunity, he was just striving to be obedient. This is what God said. Think about it. We just do those, those 10 things. This one overlooks so much. Remember the Sabbath. Take a break. Some of you are so addicted to achieving. Why? I don't know. And I used to be there. For me, it was all based upon this. The more I got done, the more people noticed, the more validated I was in what I was doing. I should not need the validation of any human being on the person on the planet. Jesus validates. Encouragement, absolutely. But not to work so that I'm validated as a person. But to work to bring honor to Jesus. It's so different. So what should, what should I believe? And third... The life. What am I supposed to do? Aren't those the three questions that seem like we just get plagued with? Where am I going? What should I believe to be true? What am I supposed to be doing? And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So in other words, we just look to Jesus. It's intimacy, it's abiding with the one that we will abide with forever. It's getting alone with him and listening. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What is this life all about? What do you believe to be true? What do you believe not to be true? God, I want to follow you. Jesus, it's all about you because I believe that you're so excellent. You're so beyond me. You are the one that has made a way that I can actually come to the Father. For without you, it's impossible. Friends, do you see the necessity of Jesus? Because without knowing the way, the truth, and the life, what do we have? Everyone's guessing, not even guessing, everyone's playing God. And Christians, we can be just as guilty with it as well. We got to go back, stay, stay with the way, the truth, and the life, and realize, believe it, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. It's only him. It's always been only him. To do anything outside of Jesus being the center of that thing, it may fix it for the moment, but it does not, inter- it does not impact eternity. He's the focal point. He's the cornerstone. He's to be preeminent in everything. So as the worship team comes back up, again, we come back to this verse. That Jesus said to Thomas, And maybe he would just say the same thing to you. Put your name there instead of Thomas. Jesus said to, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. 
And for those of you that have been struggling with all that's been going on, or there's something just very personal going on, and you're freaking out about it, and it's totally, completely understandable. And I'm so thankful that we have a God who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, according to the writer of Hebrews. I'm, I'm so thankful that the psalmist wrote, as a father shows compassion to a son, so God shows compassion to us. He remembers our frame that we're made of dust. I'm so thankful for those writings because like, okay, so you get how hard this is, God. And Jesus is like, I do. But I've never, nor will I ever suffer as much as Jesus did. And that Jesus is saying, I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. And for some of you, especially this morning, you need to hear that. And you need to be reminded of that. Jesus is saying, he's saying, come here, come here, come here. And you may say, where do you want me to go? I'm the way. Just go with me. What do I do? Like, what do I think about this? I'm the truth. I'll tell you. What do I do? How do I live? I'm the life. Just do what I do. That's the point. The way, the truth, and the life. That's Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. I thank you that you made that declaration to your disciples, and you still make that declaration to your disciples today. All around the world, every follower of Jesus who has your word can look and be reminded that you tell us that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through you. Jesus, thank you that you are the one that invites us as the way, the truth, and the life. You're the one that says, come to me. All of you who are heavy, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. For I'm meek and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, thank you. As we sing to you this last song together, and then we celebrate worshiping you outside by bouncing around and eating food. God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. For you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more.